Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, you know, isn't it funny how we pay attention to things? How our, our attention spans can be? Sometimes we can sit for three hours and two minutes to watch an Avengers movie and be totally glued to the movie. Or maybe if you're older, uh, a movie like uh, My Fair Lady, right? Gone with the Wind, right? Got, thank you, JC. Gone with the Wind even had an intermission in the middle of the movie where you get up go to the bathroom, come back, it was so long. But people's attention can stay there the entire time. It might also be that you are trying to learn something, like how to remodel your kitchen, or how to braid your hair, or um, how to fix the twin camis on your turbo-boosted Camaro, (laughs) right? So what do you do? You do countless hours of research on the internet, and go to YouTube videos, watching over and just when you are interested in something. Sometimes we will spend hours watching things that just are mindless and pay attention. But have you noticed that when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to things that are eternally important, you have to fight in order to pay attention. Just now we read, uh, we had Lilia read the scripture. That was three minutes, about three and a half minutes it took to read that. But have you noticed how difficult it is to stay engaged the entire time? I'm I'm raising my hand in that. This is something that I have to fight in order to to stay and pay attention to what's going on. And you know, getting into the Word of God is a lot like a navel orange. All right, I got your attention now. You know, you can look at an orange and go, oh, that's cool. Put it down and move on. I meant to do that. So, and if you do, you will miss out on all the nutritional properties of this orange, won't you? You can, like, you know, smell it and that sort of thing. But what do you got to do to get the nutrition in here? You got to dig in, peel it back, and get into the meat, the fruit of it. And that's a lot like the Word of God. Recently, recently, if you've been with us, you know that we've been in the book of John for about the past eight or ten weeks. Chapters 13. This is, this is the final hours of Jesus. I was talking to one of my sons, and he said, you know, Dad, every time you get up there and you begin to do the uh, recap, I daydream. Okay? I, my mind goes, so I'm going somewhere with this. I promise you, I'm not just wasting our time. So my mind goes somewhere. I start to daydream. But Jesus is in his final hours in chapter 13. We go, we've gone through 13, 14, 15, and 16, and he is only talking to his disciples. These chapters are only for true disciples of Jesus. And if you've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this, but Jesus seems to repeat himself. Have you noticed that? Jesus seems to repeat himself over 
and over as he's giving final instruction. Um, we repeat ourselves sometimes, don't we? Uh, at the men's meeting, Craig gave me a phone call. He said, hey, James, uh, I'm working a little late. I'm, gonna be, uh, I'm working a little late, so I'm going to be a little bit late tonight. I said, cool. I hung up, got in the car, was driving. I was talking to my boys who were with me. I said, uh, Craig said he's going to be a little bit late tonight. And they said, cool. So I'm driving, driving. About, I don't know, two minutes later, I went, oh, Craig's going to be late tonight. Uh, and they, they started laughing. I was like, why are you laughing? They said, because you already said that. You repeated yourself. I was like, oh, okay. When I repeat myself, when I tell my story that's really interesting that you've already heard, and you, mm-hmm, you know the person, you know what I'm talking about? That person you get to, they repeat the same story like, I know, and you're kind of mouthing it with them, and they don't even notice it, <laughs> or they don't even notice you're not even listening, right? Pay attention. But we repeat ourselves. When we repeat ourselves, often it's because we don't need to. But Jesus, Jesus does not waste words. He doesn't waste his words. When he says something, he's saying it for a reason. And when he repeats himself, it is for a purpose. Here's some things that he's repeated that I've heard. He says, love what? Love one another what? As I have loved you. He says that over and over, doesn't he? Okay, okay, I got it. Love one another. I mean, that can be what... Okay, it could be like written on here, love one. Okay, I got that, love one another. And he also says this, abide, abide in me. He wants us to have unity with one another. Okay, got that. He also says, I'm going to send a gift to you, the Holy Spirit, because I'm going away. He says that on, on several different occasions where he says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Okay, all right, got that. Or do we? He also says, ask. This is, this is amazing. Ask anything. Abide in me. Let my words abide in you. And ask anything, and it will be done for you. Now, these truths and promises should excite us. I mean, we should want to keep going over 13, 14, 15, 16, and, and today 17, over and over. And yet, I'm going to confess something to you that... There have been times as I've been reading this and studying this that I think to myself, okay, I've already heard this. Can we move on? Uh, Can we go on to to something else? Um, I already know this. But like I said before, Jesus does not waste words. He knows what he is doing, and he knows why he's saying what he's saying, even when I don't. It's kind of like the kid um, that doesn't really get parents what you're doing. Until when? They leave the home, then they have their kids. They're like, ah. They peel back the orange. And they were like, oh, that's why dad said I couldn't do that. That's why mom was on me about that. We've got to be careful that we're not just surface disciples. We need to get into the fruit of it, right? We need to dig in and peel it back. Because, you know, I am convinced that if we would take chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and now 17, if we would get into them and peel back what Jesus is saying and meditate on what Jesus is saying and deeply grasp what he is graciously sharing with us, if we would dig in to his word, that most of the issues that we have in a church 
and in our lives would evaporate. They would go away. If we would go beyond the surface and get into the meat, because it's juicy. <laughs> How many of your mouths are watering right now? Mm. Now, I need a napkin. Now, this morning we're going to be studying. If you're visiting this morning, I hope you come back next week. <laughs> this morning we're going to be studying chapter 17. This is a, the entire, as you saw in this, as we read it, <clears throat> the entire passage is a prayer. It's a prayer. It's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And the title of my message this morning is called the true Lord's prayer. And I've called it that because typically when we think of the Lord's prayer, we think about Matthew 6. Verses 9 through 13, our Father which art in heaven. That really shouldn't be called the Lord's Prayer because what hap- what's happening in the context of that, that prayer is Jesus' disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray, right? And so Jesus says, okay, I'm going to teach you to pray. I want you to, to say it with me because I want you to see that Jesus cannot pray the Lord's Prayer for himself, okay? So I want you to say it with me. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and... Okay, see why he can't pray that? Jesus never one time in his life said, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive my trespasses. That, that prayer should be called the disciples' prayer. That prayer is for a model prayer. It's not to be necessarily rotely said, but it is a model prayer that teaches us how do we, how should we pray. But this, chapter 17, has been called the Holy of Holies uh, prayers and chapters in the Bible because we get to see how Jesus prays. Okay? So let's pick up. In verse, um, in chapter 17, verse 1. And, and we need to understand that Jesus was a man of prayer. The scriptures teach that he would rise early in the morning while it was still dark. And that he would go out and pray. There was times that he would stay up all night, all night laboring in prayer. And that he would, would withdraw to lonely places and pray. In our prayer lives, you might want to write this down, our prayer lives are good indicators or they reveal how dependent we are on God. Your prayer life reveals how dependent you are on God. Did you hear that? What does your prayer life reveal about you and your dependency? Think about that right now. What does your prayer life reveal about your dependency, what you think how much you think you need God. Very, very convicting to me. And Jesus' life teaches us how dependent he was on the Father. He was totally dependent upon the Father. And if Jesus was dependent upon the Father, the Son of God needed to pray, how much more do we need to learn to pray. And so this morning, I'm hoping that we can, we can peel back this orange of a prayer and get into the juicy meat of it. Um, 
It might be helpful for you to understand that this prayer is broken down into three sections. Verses 1 through 5, uh, Jesus prays for himself. Verses 6 through 19, Jesus prays for his disciples. And then uh, verses 20 through 23, Jesus prays for future disciples. So let's look at verses 1 through 5. We're going to start with verse 1. Jesus prays for himself. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, what words? Chapters 13 to 17. When Jesus had spoken those words, he lifted up his eyes. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was raised and taught to pray, here's how I was taught to pray. Every head and every eye, except for me, right? No one's looking around. But you, even when we prayed a minute ago, many of us bowed our heads, closed our eyes. Is that taught in the Bible? Does, it, does there a commandment, bow your head, close your eyes? No, there's not, that I know of. There are, uh, Paul says, I bow my knees. But here it says that Jesus lifted his eyes up into heaven. I can remember as a kid being a hypocrite, because that's what I was taught to close your eyes. And I would tell my mom, I was like, Mom, my, our sister, she had her eyes open the whole time. <laughs> Think about that. But the, and it wasn't because the Holy Spirit was telling me that. But this passage, this is just a kind of a small side note. This passage teaches us it's okay to lift up our eyes to the heavens. It talks about that in, in Psalms also. And what does he pray? He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. To glorify, that word means to honor or to praise, to worship. Honor your son. Make it where he can be worshipped. Now, on the surface, that might seem to be a selfish and egotistic, self-centered prayer. And if you or I prayed that prayer, it would be. It would be difficult to stomach, wouldn't it? What if I had said, welcome to Reach Life, guys. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you that we're gathered to get together to get to. Gathered to get, gathered together today, glorify me today. What would you do if I did that? Yes, please. You bet. If you stayed in here, it would show me something that we need to deal with. It would be nauseating, wouldn't it? Why? Because you know that I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve to be worshipped. I don't deserve to be adored. But Jesus does. Jesus does deserve to be glorified and honored. For two reasons. This isn't the only reason, but there's two big reasons. Number one is because of who he is. Who he is. Let's look at verse 5. It says, Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence. Catch this. With the glory that I had with you before, before the world existed. In other words, before Jesus ever did anything, before he created the world. Now, we know that Jesus is not created. He is eternal God the Son. But before he did anything, he existed in eternity past glorious, simply because he is. Philippians 2 says that when Jesus came to earth, he emptied himself, right? He emptied himself, made himself nothing. He set aside his glory by becoming a servant. And so what Jesus is saying in verse 5 is here is saying, Lord, I'm coming back to you. I set my glory aside. 
Give me the glory that I had with you before I even came to earth. So he is worthy to be glorified and honored because of who he is, and secondly, because of what he has done. Verse 4 says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. You see that? What he has done. In other words, Jesus says to the Father, Father, I have obeyed you in everything. Every single thing you commanded me to do, I did it. And I didn't just do it halfway. I did it perfectly. He deserves, anyone that can live a perfect life deserves to be worshipped, don't they? And Philippians, again, too, says that he was obedient. Jesus was obedient to the point of what? Death. Even death on a cross. In other words, this, this is the heart of Jesus. He said this, I would rather die than to sin against my dad. That's the heart of Jesus. That is how rich and how glorious Jesus is. He deserves to be glorified. Those are, the, those are two big reasons. But there's another reason that as we get deeper into this orange, it's in this verse, it's still in verse 1, I want to look at it. It's the why he wanted the Father to glorify him. And as I was studying this, this just, this really blew, blew my mind. Why does Jesus want to be glorified? Let's look at it. Father, glorify the Son. Read it with me. That the Son may glorify What's his motive? To bring glory to the Father. Father, when you glorify me, it's going to actually, the end result is going to be that you're glorified. That is the heart cry of Jesus. He says, I love my dad, and I want everyone to know how awesome my dad is. So why doesn't he just pray, Father, glorify yourself? Why does he say, glorify me first, that I may glorify you? And it's really crazy as we go a little bit deeper into this verse 1. Why? It says, Father, the hour has come. There's, that's the, there's a, something's happening right here. What is the hour which he's talking about right here? Talk to me. What's the hour? The, the cross, right? Father, the hour has come. Glorify me. You know what he's saying when he says glorify me? He's saying, Father, help me to die. That's what he's saying when he says, Father, glorify me. If I were to say, Father, glorify me, typically what I'm saying is, Lord, keep me from having any problems. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Father, glorify me. Help me lay down my life for the sins of the world because when I do this, this will reveal your glory. Now, how is that going to reveal Jesus's, uh, the Father's glory when Jesus lays down his life? Think about that. It's, I can see, kind of see how that glorifies Jesus, but how does that glorify the Father? Well, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent who? His only begotten Son. God loved the world. God loved the world, so he sent his Son to die. No greater love has anyone than this. And I'm going to paraphrase, add a little bit here. 
that the Father lay down the life of his only begotten Son. No greater love has anyone than this, that the Father would lay down his, the life of his Son for his enemies to make them his children. The cross is the clearest view of the glory of the Father because it reveals how much the Father loves his children. That he would sacrifice his only begotten son to make his enemies his friends. And Jesus, basically in verse 1, he says, Father, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're worthy of my life. I, my life is not my own. To you, I belong. I give myself to you. That's, that's what we sang this morning. And if you were able to sing that this morning in spirit and truth, did you know that that's the spirit of Christ in you? That's, and, and you really connect with, Lord, I want you. Father, I want you to be glorified. That is the spirit of Christ living in you. So Jesus prays, Father, glorify your son that the son might glorify you. And then in verses 6 through 19, he says, he prays for his disciples. Verse 6, he says, I have manifested or made clear your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they kept your word. Now, this is a, a humbling statement when you really, again, when you peel back and get below the surface of it. Because what Jesus is saying here is that the disciples are, uh, that Jesus' disciples are God's gift, God the Father's gift to the Son. Let that, let that sink in. Disciples are God the Father's gift to the Son. If you are a disciple of Jesus, a true disciple, you are an expression of God's love to Jesus. This is, to me, this is very mind-blowing when I know who I am, right? Now, maybe when you first got saved, you thought, oh, yeah, God got a good one, <laughs> right? But as you walk with Jesus, your salvation gets sweeter because you realize, oh, my, how great the Father's mercy and love is because you see yourself as you really are, right? And then you see the greatness of his love grows. He really loves me. Then you walk a little further, you see darkness or things you didn't see, and his love is still, he loves me. So to say that, that uh, we are a gift to the, to the son is amazing. I love what Skip Heitzig says. He said, God gave you to Jesus as a love gift. And Jesus joyfully accepted us and treasures us. And he's praying for us in this passage. Broken humanity, proving that we're, va we're valuable. We are valuable to Jesus, and we are his inheritance. This, this is a humbling truth that should affect the way that we live our lives. Amen? Amen. Knowing that he has taken broken humanity to himself as his gift. 
And then in verses uh, uh, 6 through 19, Jesus prays, as he's praying for his disciples, I need to point out that he prayed for them back then and that he's praying for us right now. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus always lives to make intercession for his people. Intercession is when someone goes on your behalf to someone else and they speak on your behalf. Jesus is in our corner right now and he's praying for us and he prays two things. He prays at least two things. Number one, he says, Father, guard and protect. Guard, he's praying, number one, guard and protect. Verse 11 says, and I am no longer in the world. He's getting ready to go to the Father. But they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. He's asking the Father, look, I'm, I'm leaving, so guard my inheritance. Guard, guard my people. Guard my sheep. We're valuable to Jesus. And he's asking the Father to guard us. And secondly, he asks the Father to sanctify us. Sanctify us. Verse 16 says, They are not of the world, speaking of his disciples, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify is a word that means to make holy or to set apart for a specific purpose. In, in most homes, rooms are sanctified. Uh, you've got your bathroom, that's sanctified for something. Uh, you've got your kitchen, right? You should not take a shower in your kitchen sink. My, my dad always said, do not brush your teeth in the kitchen sink. That is not what that's for. That sink has been set apart to, to wash food in, not, what you, not to wash your teeth in it. To set, that's been set apart and sanctified. And Jesus is praying, Father, in a similar way, he's saying, set, set my people apart. There should be a distinct, marked difference between my people and the people of the world and, and the way that they think and the way they live and in the way they love. He says, set them apart. And he says, guard them. Now, how does he want to guard and protect us. It's in the passage. Can anyone just tell me? By us trying hard? Somebody said truth, right? Sanctify them in your truth. And then he says what after that? Your word is truth. He wants to protect us by his word and by the truth. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a, man be, a young man be set apart? By guarding it according to your word. Verse six, 6, Jesus says, they have kept your word. Verse 7, he says, I have given them the words you gave me, and they have kept them. Verse 14 says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Proof that you have kept his word is that the world hates you. Pastor Terry talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Now, I want to be clear about something, that 
as Jesus is praying, Father, I want you to protect my people and I want you to set them apart. He's not saying, I want you to isolate my people from the world. Now, um, over the years, over the history of the church, there have been people that have gone to convents and become monks. And even in, in our day and age, we can put up these walls and I, there should be some healthy walls up. So I'm not saying don't put up healthy boundaries, but totally isolating yourself and putting yourself in a Christian bubble, thinking that, okay, I'm going to protect myself and I'm going to sanctify myself. That is not what Jesus is saying here. What is he saying? What is he saying here? Let's look at verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Is that good news or bad news to you? It depends, right? Depends on where your heart's at. Have you ever wondered why Jesus, when you come to Jesus and you receive him, why he doesn't just, bam, we're going to heaven? Don't you wish it was like that? Well, think about it, though. If he did that, then none of us would be here because all the disciples would have been gone, right? There's a reason he doesn't do that. You know, it's like the man in, I think it's Mark 5, the naked, see, the naked man that was living in the tombs, running around cutting himself. People were scared of him. I would be scared of him. And Jesus comes to him, he calls him by name, and he came running out of that grave to him. And what does he do? He casts out the demons, he puts them in his right mind, and he clothes the man. Remember that account? I think it's in Mark 5. That's a picture of, of what it's like for the gospel. We were all roaming amongst the tombs, living in death, and Jesus calls us, come here. And we ran to him, those of us who have put our faith in him, and he cleaned us up, gave us a new mind. And the man who was healed, it says in, in John chapter, uh, Mark chapter 5 that he went, as Jesus was getting into the boat, he goes and, he, and it says he begged him, Lord, let me go with you. Take me with you. I want to be with you right now. And Jesus goes, uh-uh. He won't let him get into the boat. He goes, go back to your family and your friends and tell them what I've done for you. That's what Jesus is talking about right here. He is not wanting to take us out of the world, but that we would come to him, receive his word, be filled with the Holy Spirit, have a new mind and be protected, be in a church family that can keep us walking in the truth, caring for one another, washing one another's feet, and that we would go out into the world with his word. Because you know what? There are still many people that I believe Jesus is still wanting to bring into his fold. But I'm afraid that, and I know this about myself too, so I'm not... I'm preaching to all of us. I can get to the place where I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. I don't want to go back out. 
You know, this, uh, at, the, at the men's meeting, this was uh, what we talked about with King David. He got chilled and relaxed. I'm good. And when he did, it was a, it was a slope downward. And that's the way we can be as a church if we don't obey the Spirit of God. We need to pray. Listen, church, we need to pray, God, pierce my heart. Pierce my heart. Help me to get what's going on outside these walls. I mean, there's a lot going on inside these walls. But help me to understand that the person I'm working next to You've put me next to this person for a reason. You want the Spirit of God in me to speak to this person, speak life, bring the gospel. Through the way I live, sanctified, right, set apart, and by the way I speak. And we know that Jesus is, is uh, he's not done because In verse 20, he prays for future disciples. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will be in me through their words. If you are a true disciple, it's because, number one, Jesus prayed for you. And number two, it's because there were faithful disciples who didn't just take the orange and keep it to themselves, right? They, they went out and they shared it. Now, if I were to go in this room right now, and some of you wouldn't want this. Some of y'all's mouths are just dripping wanting this. But sharing what we've been given, not keeping it to ourselves, not just being inward, but being a people that are outward. And he also prays in this passage for our unity, for the unity of the body. And I want, by God's grace, I want that to be a truth about our church, don't you? Don't you? But you know what? Here's how you know if you really do. You're going to peel back the orange a little bit more because the the goal, really, and we're going to take a break uh, from John and, and do a, a series starting next week. But the goal is not to get through the book of John. Okay? That's not the primary goal to get through the book. It's to get into the book and the book get into us. That's what the goal is. However long God would have that take. Now, we are going to get through the book of John by God's grace, okay? But let's not miss all that's in there so much in there while we're doing it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.